Fueled by the Outdoors, your source for hunting, fishing, archery, and all things outdoors. Brought to you by the Elite Outdoors. Welcome to Fueled by the Outdoors. I'm your host, Rick Cates, and this is episode 21 of the podcast. Um, It's just me today. Uh, We are just now back from kind of mini vacations. Chris recently got back from his trip in Nebraska for his mule deer slash whitetail deer hunt, which we'll cover next time amongst other topics. And I just got back from being out of the country uh, trying to fish for roosterfish in Dorado. And while I had an amazing time with my family and got to fish every day, uh, we'll break down what happens when you hook one of those guys and you are on the shore. It's a a pretty interesting experience. I look forward to sharing with you guys in the next podcast when we start breaking down some of the stuff that's coming up and, you know, that we're moving through the fall with. So that all being said, we have a couple of things that we're going to cover today. Normally we do conservation on these things. And I know I did the hunting your own hunt thing last time, which I still feel is very important. And as we are now officially, Um, almost two full weeks into deer season in Kentucky. Uh, There's some things that I think are important to kind of look at for hunters and anglers and just getting outdoors in general now within this state. And, you know, this is a little content heavy in terms of new stuff that's kind of come up, but it's a big benefit to um, people who are coming to the state to hunt, fish, or be outdoors. So the first thing I kind of want to cover is recently... Uh, there is a new hunting access area open for public use in Kentucky, and it is uh, through a, a few different counties. It's through Martin County, Pike County, I believe in part of Floyd County, and Johnson County. It actually runs around Tug Fork, which is, uh, if you're a historian, uh, part of the area where the Hatfields and McCoys took place. So um, I did want to start with that because it's a lot. Per Frankfort, uh, Kentucky, the uh, Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife uh, has stated that there are now an additional 56,000 acres open for public hunting under new hunting access agreements in eastern Kentucky. Um, the areas include locations in Floyd, Knott, Leslie, Letcher, McGoffin, I'm sure I'm going to get an email about that, McCreary, Perry, and Pike County. So it's a lot more counties than what I initially had said. The new hunting access areas, or HAAs, so if you see um, WMA on a map, that is a wildlife management area, these are hunting access areas, so HAAs, consists of land previously not open to public in addition to existing areas uh, uh, that were already there. So the first one is the Legacy LLC HAA. And that is 44,460 acres. That is in Martin Pike and Floyd counties. If you have an elk permit, uh, you must enter the drawing to be selected in order to hunt elk in this this, uh, portion of the HAA. But otherwise, it's open to hunting under statewide regulations for all other species. So that is almost 50,000 acres right there of brand new prime hunting area in Martin, Pike, and Floyd counties that you have access to under statewide regulations for any species um, that you have an ability to hunt there. There is the Betterment Wildlife HAA, which is 6,500 acres 
in Knott, Leslie, Letcher, Perry, and Pike counties. Again, open to hunting under all statewide regulations for all species. And then there is the RH Group HAA. That is an additional 5,100 acres in Floyd, McGoffin, McCreary, Letcher, and Pike counties. Uh, it's regulated for elk hunting purposes, archery only for deer hunting, and open to hunting under statewide regulations for all other species. You do have to have a waiver uh, to access the property. And um, with regards to this, some of these HAAs and WMAs in Kentucky, I don't know how it is in Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, or other areas surrounding this kind of stuff, there are certain areas that are very large that are archery-only deer hunting, and that is a very, I don't want to say this, it, 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 it leaves you for a good place to go get an early season deer. Modern firearm seasons in November, early muzzleloader is in October. So you have this area open basically from the start of September to mid-October to go archery deer hunting in, which is, I mean, a huge uh, block of land. But again, you need a waiver to access that property. And the old Cambrian Coal HAA has now been named uh, Pike Elkhorn HAA. There's no additional acreage, and it's in Pike, Letcher, and Floyd counties. It's regulated for elk hunting purposes, and it's open under statewide regulations for all other species. Um, but, as with some things in Kentucky, at least down here, uh, check map for restricted areas because there are areas that they do have kind of locked off for a number of different reasons, whether it's habitat work or other things that are kind of going on on that property. And now, the difference between a hunting access area and a WMA, if I am not mistaken, um, is a hunting access area is technically an area that is privately owned land that is being allowed to be hunted on through... Um, a number of different grants or waivers or things along those lines. However, the important part about this is, is that Kentucky is now home to more than 1 million acres open for public hunting, which is a whole lot of area. I mean, a whole, whole lot of area. And, you know, we talk about wanting people to get out and about these are areas for you to go and have a weekend adventure on or a week-long adventure on and if you were lucky enough to draw an archery elk or a um, rifle elk tag congratulations I, I was not lucky enough and haven't been lucky enough to do that with uh, every entry I've tried to but there there's some areas here for you to look at um, if you were drawn for that you know moving forward so be aware that there are a couple areas here for you to be able to go to and have some excellent, excellent hunting opportunities. The other thing that's important to remember, since we are in September in Kentucky, is it is quota application month. And I encourage anybody uh, who has the ability to do this to enter into the drawings for these things. It's important. These hunts are, you know, fairly, you know, some of them are fairly easy to draw, I should say that. You know, you can go online and enter through the quota hunts thing on uh, fw.ky.gov and allow for yourself to have a really good opportunity to be able to get into a really cool hunt or things like that. I know there's going to be a couple of ones that I'm going to enter in this year because I have a uh, interest in getting out and trying to get some things done that I've not ever done before. And I feel like it's a important thing as 
an outdoorsman to try to experience new things and go about and do these things. So the last thing I'm going to say about um, Kentucky is that they have switched some things around in terms of updating information about several fish and wildlife related regulation amendments. So um, some of those things are have to do with small game and fur bearer hunting and trapping on public lands. Um, there's amendments to allow hunters to hunt on clay, green, and yellow bank wildlife management areas outside the pheasant hunting units. And uh, they, ha- they do these big pheasant quota hunts down here. Um, and they, you know, typically shut them down, but they're going to allow for small game hunting outside uh, of that kind of stuff. Um, means by which migratory birds may be taken. This is kind of an important one because this has to do with a conservation order um, on that mainly goes to the western side of the state along the uh, Mississippi Flyway. And this amendment actually removes the three-shot shell limit on shotguns for the Snow Goose Conservation Order. And um, the reason they're doing this is because it uh, they're hoping to reduce rapidly growing populations of these snow geese that are damaging Arctic habitat for other waterfowl and wildlife. Uh, the amendment also removes the restrictions on the use of electronic, call- electronic calling devices when hunting light geese during the light goose conservation order season, which I believe is in the spring. And um, it also eliminates the requirement to hunt from a pit or a blind um, in Ballard County, which is right along the uh, river over there. Uh, The other ones have to do with coyote and black bear season requirements. So I'll cover those real quick, then we'll get into the main piece that I really wanted to focus on today. Um, Hunting and trapping seasons and limits for fur bearers. Uh, The amendment allows the use of lights or night vision equipment to hunt coyotes from December 1st to May 31st. In addition, this will also allow a person hunting coyotes at night on private land. This is very important. On private land to use a rifle of 6.5 millimeter or small bore from December 1st to March 31st. Shotguns using a multiple projectile load, remember, slugs are prohibited, may be used to hunt coyotes after daylight from December 1st to March 31st on public or private land. A person using, a person hunting coyotes on public land at night cannot use any other firearm other than a shotgun. Lights on or other night vision equipment meant to make coyotes visible at night cannot be connected to or cast from a mechanized vehicle, so you cannot be um, spotlighting from your vehicle. The amendments also prohibit night hunting for coyotes in a county or area where a deer or elk firearm or muzzleloader season is open. So the big part of this is is that it's going to allow people to use rifles with 6.5 millimeter or a smaller bore at night on private land, uh, which is a which is a big change. But it also prohibits night hunting for coyotes in counties where deer, elk, firearm, or muzzleloader season is open. So just be aware of that. Um, that basically during the months of November and late December, because we do have that later December muzzleloader season here in Kentucky, you're not going to be allowed to hunt um, 
at night with a rifle on private land or with a shotgun during that time. Now, the black bear season requirements, um, they're actually raising the overall bear quota from 36 to 39 bears. Now, again, that doesn't seem like a lot, but it is still uh, three more bears, so it keeps growing every year. Um, they established a new Wayne County zone with a six female bear quota and adjusting West Zone 2 quota from seven bears to four bears, so it actually drops in one of the other zones. Also, if you didn't know, we have a chase-only season where you're allowed to run bears with dogs, and the chase-only season to June 1st, it will start uh, June 1st, and establish that a person shall only use a dog to chase a bear on public hunting areas or on private land with permission of the landowner in all bear zones. So you can do that in all bear zones with the exception of the McCreary Zone, Daniel Boone National Forest, which is a huge area, Miller Welch, Central Kentucky, Beaver Creek, Cane Creek, Mill Creek, Pioneer Weapons WMA, and Redbird WMA. So that those are some things just kind of going on um, in the bluegrass, just so you guys know and understand. You know, moving forward, we have some really cool stuff going on down here that um, I really hope that a lot of you guys in Ohio and the surrounding areas get um, some stuff passed that's been going on there for a while as well. It is deer season, and it is time to start preparing for that kind of stuff. As I've stated earlier, the biggest thing that you can do to prepare for deer season is get out and shoot your bow if you're archery hunting, or if you want to now, um, we are now technically, I mean, for Kentucky muzzleloader, we're a month away from, you know, the, the two, the, I believe it's two-day season, to be able to go out and uh, get a deer early. And uh, that's open under a lot of the WMAs around here. So, you know, be aware, you know, get out and sight in your rifles, get out and sight in your muzzleloaders. These are all cool and important things to be able to do. So you're um, skilled and proficient with your uh, weapon of choice. And I know that I was out earlier shooting my bow before the podcast, getting everything settled in at 20 and 30 yards and throwing groups in my bullseyes. So, you know, this is uh, the time of year. I have not been out yet uh, because I was out of town. And while it kind of stinks that you uh, that you haven't been able to go out and, uh, you know, partake just yet, uh, I'm looking forward to just be a little bit cooler. It's one of those things where I think I've talked about it before. I hate hunting in 90 degree heat. I know it's some guys things or some gals things where they, they like going out and do that and that kind of stuff, but for me, I really just prefer to uh, <laughs> to make sure that I'm a little. It's a little bit cooler, and I think that those deer will be moving. Now, since we are in deer season, we have been ending almost every uh, podcast with a couple uh, things that we feel are important to talk about. And today, one of the biggest things that I feel is important to discuss is an essential one for most individuals really east of the Mississippi and for the most part across the South and the Midwest. We are going to talk about tree stand safety. You've heard Chris and I talk about the fact that, you know, where your harness um, can't um, show pictures of deer if you're dead, you know, lots of different things like that. We want people to be safe. So, I wanted to go over some just real basic tree stand safety tips that will be helpful in moving forward in your pursuit of game this year. So, 
real, real basic ones um, that I like to start out with uh, before you get up into a tree is um, what I do at the start of every season is I get my stands out. I do have a stand that I keep on a farm all year round. Uh, so when I go and I start scouting and that kind of stuff, the first thing I always do is to check and make sure that the stand itself is in operating order. Whatever you need to do, whether it is a climber, whether it is a hanging, uh, whether it's a hang stand, whether it is a ladder stand, whether it is a box blind, um, or there, are, I know plenty of people who create platforms and then put um, their uh, pop-up blinds on top of it. You know, make sure that your stuff is in working order. Make sure that it is still has all the pieces. Don't try to finagle something if it's not safe. Take the time, reorder pieces, do what you need to do. Uh, for Ohioans, you still have, I think, close to 24 days uh, before the season actually starts. So make sure your stuff is in good working order. I'm sorry. My bad. You have like 14 days before the, <laughs> before the season starts. Um, pretty basic thing that you have to kind of look through and go through in order to make sure all your stuff is working the correct way. So obviously, if that's working and those are all in good working orders, there's a couple things to prevent basic tree stand accidents um, we will actually be tagging a uh, video of a guy that we are having on actually next week uh, named Aaron Satterfield who is a member of the film team who is a member of the elite outdoors he's a member of fueled by the outdoors um, he had a tree stand accident last year and luckily he didn't get hurt too terribly bad um, he ended up being safe, but there's a, a couple things that we're going to tag that video into the podcast liner notes, and we will also uh, have it as one of the main things that we post regarding that kind of stuff moving forward. To help prevent tree stand accidents, you can follow some real basic safety precautions. So the majority of accidents occur when the hunter is climbing up or down the tree. Always use a safety harness never use a rope to replace a harness if you have bought a tree stand within the past five years almost every tree stand i believe i believe every tree stand at this point comes with some form of climbing harness and some of them are very rudimentary some of them are a little bit more advanced um, but nonetheless, if you can't, if you don't have the money to go out and afford to buy a brand new harness, or you don't have a hand-me-down or something like that, and you do go out and buy a tree stand, it more than likely will come with a harness. Make sure before you get up in the tree to adjust it to fit the needs that you have of your body. They're very important to make sure that they're fitting correctly on a number of different levels. One, to keep you safe, and two to make sure that you can use your weapon as needed when you are taking an animal. You know, it's important to practice in what you're going to be wearing. I will actually put my harness on um, over the top of my uh, 
my like my merino wool stuff and then I'll put my clothes on over the top of that and I will go shoot my bow to make sure I've got enough area and that it's snug down the way that it needs to. Um, harnesses are not as expensive as they once were. There's plenty of good ones on the market. I personally have a muddy one that I absolutely love. And previous to that, I had a hunter safety system that was given to me. And while I like it, while I, you know, hunter safety system stuff is great, preferably I just like the muddy better. It just fits me um, a little bit more uh, snugly the way that I, I enjoy it. But that being said, you can find these things online. You can find them at any store. You can find them from guys who are buying new ones and you're getting rid of their old ones. If you go on uh, the Elite Outdoors and I'm sure even ask, does anyone know where I can find a harness, you will have guys chomping at the bit trying to help you find one. Now, just because you have an older model too doesn't mean that it's not going to work Um even though the full body fall arrest safety harnesses offer more protection, older models still work. Second thing, read the instruction manual thoroughly on the proper use and adjustment of your harness system and your tree stand. This is important because I think a lot of us think we know how something's going to work just because we assume that we've went through it and like, oh, I know exactly what to do. This is something that's going to keep you alive, and this is something you're going to be putting up in a tree that you want to be able to stand in, that you don't want to fall out. Make sure you take the time to read the manual thoroughly and make sure that you're doing the stuff that you need to be doing. Check for the expiration date on your harness and look for signs of wear and tear prior to each use. Um, I can tell you for a fact, I know of at least one individual who um, was wearing a harness, thought that he was completely fine, and there was wear and tear on his harness. It gave way when he was climbing up a tree. Thank God it didn't hurt him. But he was left hanging there uh, in a very uncomfortable position because the harness um, ripped and did not have uh, the wherewithal to keep going. So be sure that you are making sure that all your stuff is in good working order. That is a number one process with putting on your harness don't leave the ground unless you are wearing a harness harness system so typically something that i know we've all done and that we all do at points in time in our life is we will go and we will set stands and we'll say oh i'll just put it on when i get up there don't do that make sure that you've got your harness on and that you're going up and down the tree in it if nothing else it's good practice and it allows for you to be able to be safe on your way up and on your way down. Attach the safety strap to a position on the tree to prevent you from falling more than 12 inches. You want to make sure that your safety strap that is attached to the tree is just high enough so it's not just, you know, a foot. You know, make, make sure that you're doing this stuff uh, correctly. Practice. Practice with your stand. Practice with your harness at ground level prior to going up to elevated positions. I cannot tell you that enough. Every manufacturer will say that. And also, never exceed the weight limit specified by the manufacturer. That stuff is on there for a reason. Again, you, if it says 300 pounds, don't put two guys in a you know side-by-side -side stand that equal 450. You know, you, you don't want to have a bad day and you don't want to fall out of a tree or anything along those lines. 
always, always check your tree stand every year prior to hunting from it, and especially check the trees that they are in. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've walked through the woods and guys have had deer stands in ash trees and, you know, ash trees get hit by the uh, emerald ash borer and they're all dead. And then you have these widow maker stands that guys still try to hunt and end up getting hurt in. So be, be aware of what kind of trees that goes back to woodsmanship, as we've talked about before. Make sure that you're taking care of yourself that way, too. Don't carry any equipment up while you're climbing. You know, use a, you know, a haul line to raise and lower your gear in and out of the tree. Um, wear boots with non-skid soles. You know, be wary of slippery steps. If it's icy, you know, maybe try to bust some of the ice off your tree stand before you get in there. I know that's typically real late season hunt. But, you know, be aware of that kind of stuff. The biggest... Um, thing that I think is probably rudimentary when we are going up and down the tree on ladder type stands. Follow the three points rule. And the three point rule of tree safety is you always have three points of contact to the steps or the ladder before moving. Could be two arms and one leg, could be two legs and one arm. Um, you know, not don't use like one leg, one hand, one tooth or something like that. But before you're moving, make sure you are, you know, within three points of contact of the ladder before moving. Climb higher than the tree stand and step down onto it. Uh, climbing up onto it can dislodge it. So, you know, make sure that you uh, are climbing up a little bit higher and then stepping down just to make sure that your stuff is settled. The other thing that I would say is always make sure that your top part of your climbing stand and the bottom part of your climbing stand are attached by a rope or something. That way, if it does fall loose, you can try to pick it back up with your legs or something along those lines. Also, this is a, an important part because that is a, one of the reasons why people fall out of trees is that that is not connected and then they fall through the upper part and then they fall down to the ground. Take your time. Slow even movements. You know, one one thing is we all get excited about getting up in the tree and we want to hurry up and we want to get up there. But make sure you go slow, even movements up and down the tree. There's a saying that the Special Forces uses, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. If you go smooth, slow, you're going to go smooth. And the smoother you go, the faster the process will be. Just make sure that you're being mindful of it. Um, if you can, I know it's long when you're staying up in those tree full day sits all day. Don't fall asleep. It's a common cause of accidents. Guys and ladies fall asleep and then they, you know, fall out. Always have a way of, uh, notifying people or letting people know where you're at. And, uh, there's also, if, if you want to try, uh, to test your knowledge, there's free online tree stand safety courses on, um, that you can go on the internet and take. So type in online tree stand safety course and a couple of them will pop up and you'll be able to take one and you know be safe as you go through that process. So those are the real basic tree stand safety tips that we felt were important to kind of cover and just make sure that you have some understanding of uh, as you move forward into this wonderful hunting season. Now, to close out, we are going to be doing something pretty regularly. We want to do it each week. The 
deer season is here in Kentucky. So what I wanted to do based off of a guy that we had on here uh, last time, Josh Luck, made a suggestion that we try to update people weekly on what we're seeing in terms of deer scouting and things like that. So there's four basic questions that we're going to try to follow here each week as we go through this. Um, So the first one uh, for our uh, Fueled by the Outdoor Scouting Report number one, this is the week of September 12th uh, coming at you right now. So this is going to launch on the uh, September the 14th, so hope for September the 13th, actually, because we launched this on Sunday nights at 9 for anyone who wants to start listening a little bit early or on their way to work on Monday morning. Um, our scouting report, at least for me, from the state of Kentucky in the area that I am in, northern area, uh, what state are you in and how would you rate the deer movement this past week? Uh, I'm in Kentucky, and the rate of deer movement around uh, food source that I have put out is probably nighttime around, well, evening and morning. Does are coming in pretty regularly. I'd say the doe movement is probably around a five or six. They're not coming in all day, every day, but they're definitely there the first hour and the last hour of daylight. Um, My buck movement at night uh, around the 11 o'clock to 3 o'clock hour is probably like an eight right now. During daylight hours, it's more like a a two or a three. I had my uh, big shooter buck in front of my stand uh, on opening day, and I wasn't there to fill my tag, so he must have known that I wasn't going to be there. What patterns are we seeing? Uh, I am still seeing a lot, a lot of bachelor group bucks. They're still bunched up. Um, they're still, for me... Uh, on their early season bed-to-feed patterns. It looks like they're going straight from their bedding areas, feeding uh, through the area that I've got set up, and then they're going to bed, and it's just kind of in and out. That's pretty much how these bucks move on this property, though. I haven't been out to any public land areas to kind of give that a look before muzzleloader season, but hopefully I will be soon. Um, What food sources should people be focusing on right now? Um, Most of what I'm seeing... Uh, is just regular browse type stuff, you know, regular plants that you might see, clover, uh, anything in open fields, on field edges. That's still what I'm seeing. I did see some acorns starting to drop, so be ready for those to really start falling here. Within the next few weeks, uh, we will probably be seeing them more focusing on that kind of stuff, at least in the area that I am in, I think so. And I'm in the northern Uh, half of the state of Kentucky. And how would I rate expected deer movement this weekend or this upcoming week? Um, The weather here was cool this morning, so I expect deer to start moving a little bit more. It's going to be down into the 70s next weekend with with, uh, temperatures in the 50s getting close to evening time. So I really expect deer movement for bucks to start really picking up. Does, like I said, they're already coming in and out pretty regularly. The other thing that I would say is be on the lookout for larger cold fronts starting to move through. You know, we've had these 90 and 80 degree days. These big cold fronts that are prime for deer are going to be moving through here fairly soon uh, with temperatures starting to drop a little bit. So be aware. These are things that we hope to be getting more information to you on in the coming months. I know that uh, Chris and I both 
really, really, really are excited for the um, deer season coming up, and it is one of my favorite times of year. We are attempting to get some really cool things on the ground as we move through this season. And, you know, one of the things that we hope to have more of to you is video content coming out on our YouTube page. So if you haven't already subscribed, please subscribe to Fueled by the Outdoors on YouTube. And please subscribe to Fueled by the Outdoors on any podcast platform if you're not already doing that. Leave us a review, good, bad, or positive. Um, you know, we, we always welcome the information. And always remember, you can reach us through our email at theeliteoutdoors1 at gmail.com. That is the, T-H-E, elite, E-L-I-T-E, outdoors, O-U-T-D-O-O-R-S, the number one, at gmail.com. Guys, this has been Rick Cates. I've been your host uh, for Fueled by the Outdoors, episode 21, and I hope to talk more to you guys later and we will be bringing you more and more information through the course of this wonderful time of year known as the fall talk to you later guys bye and that will do it for our podcast today please remember to subscribe like review on all major podcasting platforms we are available on apple google tune in Castbox, Spotify, and all other major podcasting platforms. As always, we are available for contact at theeliteoutdoors1 at gmail.com. That is theeliteoutdoors, the number one, at gmail.com. Thanks a lot, guys. Talk to you next time.